pray. I really pray. You know, just echoing even what Tracy shared this morning, that we could just be so free and just just allow the the awesome just nature of God just pour over us and just excite us and just draw us in to what the truth of God's word is and what he has for us and 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 how what he has done for us we take for granted so much and it becomes just such a normal routine and part of our culture that it's just kind of like participating in 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 rec sports that's kind of what we view church as a lot of times but man this is the God of the universe that put on flesh that died sinner's death for each and every one of us to have salvation to rescue us not based off of any work that we've done on our own but what Jesus Christ has done for us and listen that is Paul's passion to the church of Galatia this morning and I pray that we can hear that echo through the generations as he speaks that into our lives this morning Galatians chapter 2 this morning we end into Galatians chapter 2 reading verses 1 through 10 Galatians 2 1 through 10 it says then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had had not run in vain. But even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised and though he was a Jew yet because of false brothers brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you and from those who seem to be influential what they were makes no difference to me God shows no partiality those I say whom seemed influential added nothing to me on the contrary when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles when James and Cephas and John who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given to me they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised only they asked us to remember the poor the very thing I was eager to do let's pray father I just thank you again for this morning God challenge us God let us not just fall into routines this morning God let us not be distracted God let us be keyed in to the truth of your word God let us be challenged Lord let us be encouraged by the truth of the gospel that Paul so eagerly fought for did not submit to anything less than the true nature of the gospel for our good and for the good of the people of Galatia Father challenge us this morning God open our eyes and hearts to see we love you and thank you in Jesus name Amen so we see Paul again fighting to help the church of Galatia see past the false teaching of people who had came come in fighting to reveal a different gospel fighting to kind of bring in this other layer of salvation uh, to help you know they were teaching kind of this Jewish tradition that they had to be circumcised that they had to follow the plans uh, the the meal plans these things that were laid out before them you know and so 
as we said, they came in challenging Paul's uh, message, but then they also came in challenging Paul's credentials as an apostle. And so what Paul begins to do here in chapter 2 is he's laying out how things uh, went in his life. And you can actually see some of this pan out in Acts chapter 11, the 14, 15, kind of in that region. We see some of these things come to be. Uh, and so what Paul does is Paul says that he decides to go back to Jerusalem after he's had some time to be ministering, after he's had some time to be sharing the gospel with the Gentiles who were not of Jewish descent, who have not been circumcised, to show them that salvation was not based out of the religious works that they were doing, but it was based off of their relationship, their trust in, faith in Christ alone. And that's where their salvation was coming from. But these other people were coming and teaching a different gospel. So Paul was writing back to them to let them know, to let them know, that the gospel they were being taught is not any gospel at all. And we talked about that over the last couple weeks, and we'll get into that even more in depth in chapters 3 and 4 as Paul really begins to hit this point home. But what we see this morning is we see Paul do something that's very important. I think that's very important for us as the church, and it's very important for us as Christians as we step out, is that Paul goes back to the foundation, the pillar. The Bible tells us that the, that the, the church is laid on the foundation of the apostles. And so... Paul goes to these other apostles to establish unity. He goes back to these apostles to establish unity. You know, and there's two sides of this that, that Paul it, it kind of presents, you know, because Paul sees this as very important, that if there's not unity, then he says in, in Galatians 2.2, 2, he says, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain, because he understands if the bulk of the Christian faith, if the bulk of the leaders, the bulk of the foundation of the church are not teaching the accurate gospel that was presented to him through Jesus, if their gospels don't line up, then they're going to be butting heads. They're going to be running in vain. They're not going to be accomplishing the task that they've set out to accomplish. And so, and Paul references this in, in uh, Philippians 2.16. He says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He says, by holding on to the word of life. And we know that that word of life that he is speaking of is the grace of God, the message of the gospel. And so what are the two sides in regards to how the gospel interacts with other people? This is very important because this speaks to the unity of the gospel, the unity of the church, and what Paul was intending to fix or to establish with these leaders in Jerusalem who were John, Peter, and James, the brother of Jesus. These men are pillars of the church, the foundation. And so what are the two sides of this that Peter that, that are happening here? The first one is that the gospel of faith in Christ is for people of all cultures. That the gospel of faith in Christ is for people of all cultures. Almost if we looked at this side of the coin in one way, it would be the free entryway. That there is free entrance. That it is inclusive. The second is this. The other was this. And this is what the false teachers were teaching. Is this idea that not all Jews were Christians. Not all Jews were Christians. But all Christians must become Jews. Because if you read at other points in the Bible, they never condemn the act of circumcision. They never condemn the act of, of following uh, the, the, the religious ordinances based off of their culture, based off of what they've experienced, based off of what they've been taught. Where they did condemn it, where Paul and Peter and, and others would push against, is when they said that those things were required for salvation. 
And so that's what we see here is that, that the other side of it, the, what the false teachers were teaching is that not all Jews are Christians, but all Christians must become Jews. Basically saying that all uh, people that were coming into uh, the faith had to not only put their faith in Christ, but also participate in these religious ordinances to be saved, to be in the fold of God's people. Basically saying that external behaviors to internal belief in Christ in order to be saved. And Paul references this in Galatians 2.4. He says, these people who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they may bring us into slavery. Because the reality is and what Paul teaches that Christianity is about who I am in Christ, not what I do for him. You know, the New Testament helps us to get the gospel right. But what the false gospel was was a gospel of self-righteousness. What the false gospel was was a gospel of legalism. Uh, and so what, what, what Paul is, is entering into this space to understand and to establish and for us to grasp, if I could sum everything up into one sentence, it would be this, is that the gospel of grace unites and the gospel of legalism divides. The gospel of grace unites and the gospel of legalism divides because it's not the true gospel. Only the true gospel of grace can unite the church. You know, and the thing that I have to, I have to make very clear here, because I think anytime we talk about unity, uh, we, we, get, we get kind of nervous maybe at times, uh, like I'm talking about some kind of world war, one, one world religion or something like that. That's not what I'm saying, because unity, it, the unity that we're talking about is a, is a unity not at the expense of the gospel or not at the expense of the purity of the gospel, the, the, the essence of the gospel that involves Jesus. And so, and no compromise in that. And so, you know what, like we talked about a few weeks ago, we have to draw hard lines. We have to be clear about what our gospel is and the basis of our gospel and what our gospel means. And you know what, it's going to pit us against others of other faiths or other denominations at times. Not to say that, there, that there's not common ground that we don't step forward in, but in the unity that we're speaking of here this morning, I want to speak on, it's more of a localized unity and a missional unity. And so in the midst of the unity that Paul is talking about, as we get into it this morning, there's two things that I see from this text that we see for the people of God and the pursuit of, of our purpose. And the first thing is this, is that the unity, the true unity of the gospel grows us. The unity, the true unity of the gospel grows us. Galatians 2 verse 1, Paul said that after 14 years he went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. And so... Barnabas is a very significant person in this story. You know, whenever Paul, in, in Acts chapter 9, whenever Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he tells him where to go and what to do, when everyone else was saying, well, isn't that the guy that was doing this? Isn't that the guy that, that was persecuting us? Isn't that the guy that was uh, very passionately against Jesus and the work of Jesus and the people of Jesus? When all of that was going on around Paul, whenever he was converted on the road to Damascus, Barnabas, listen, this is very important, Barnabas was one of the only ones, besides Ananias, one of the only ones that stood with Paul, that encouraged Paul, that stood up for Paul. Acts chapter 9 verse 27 says, But Barnabas took him, talking about him taking Paul, took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. 
What's awesome about Barnabas, because they were united, they were united by the true gospel, because he knew that Paul knew the gospel of grace, because Paul didn't deserve what he had gotten. Barnabas had experienced the gospel of grace through the teachings of Jesus. And so what happens here is because of that gospel, it had, it had changed the view of Barnabas where he could see Paul for who Christ saw him as. And in the midst of that, it brought unity. And within that unity, it would grow Paul. Church, within gospel unity, it grows us. Because Barnabas would be one of Paul's right-hand men. He would stand with Paul. He would disciple Paul. He would encourage Paul. He would be that person. I mean, Acts chapter 4, verse 36 tells us that Barnabas' name literally means son of encouragement. And that's exactly what Barnabas is for Paul in his ministry, in the early parts of his ministry. Barnabas was right there next to Paul in his first missionary journey as they go out and they begin to share the gospel with the Gentiles. Barnabas was a major part of the missionary work in spreading the gospel to the people. And, and for us as Christians, when we are united in the true gospel, it grows us. And it grows us because we're, we're living in and ministering in and working in this idea where Barnabas would be kind of leading us out in that ministry of encouragement. Because in the midst of gospel unity, we find encouragement. And in the midst of that encouragement, we find spiritual growth. Well, for Paul, he had to have been experiencing so much pushback. He, was, he had to have been continuing to be experiencing people pointing to his past and who he was and what he had done. But Barnabas stood by his side. Barnabas went into ministry with him. Barnabas discipled Paul. Ba Barnabas stood next to Paul. You know, and this would have drastically changed Paul's life. I mean, Paul would write about this, this idea of encouragement. First Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. This is what we are called to do as Christians for each other, building one another up. Ephesians 4.29, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So in our encouragement, in our instruction, in our being present with the people of, when we're speaking of, thinking of it in the context of a local church as we function, that we would be encouraging each other. And, and I love how in Ephesians when Paul writes this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And so when we're talking about corrupting talk, we're talking about wicked speech. We're talking about gossip. We're talking about words that don't edify, words that don't build up. And listen, it, and I know this, I've experienced this in my own life. I'm a culprit of it, and if we're honest with ourselves, we've all fallen to it at some point or another. It is much easier and much more enjoyable to jump into the, the, the corrupting talk, right? It's so much more fun to talk about how nasty or how badly someone else has done or what they've done wrong or how, how they're messed up. I mean, my God, we're in uh, the election season right now. If you, if you want to see it, it's all over the place. Regardless of whether you agree with someone or not, we love to talk nasty about other people. You know, and really, regardless, Paul tells us, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths or out of your fingertips as it's posted on Facebook. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Church, we are called to be encouragers. That does not mean we're called to be compromisers, but we are called to be encouragers. Even in the midst of rebuke, even in the midst of instruction, we are called to be encouragers that are building people up, looking for opportunities to celebrate those bringing glory to the Lord and honor to God through the lives that reflect their faith. 
And I love in Acts 11:24 we see more of Barnabas' heart, which is such a great instruction for us in the midst of the local church. It says, when he came, talking about Barnabas, when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Barnabas was just this guy. I, I would have, this would have been a guy I would have loved to have been around because he seems like such a cheerleader. He seems like such an encourager. He just stood by people's side. He saw the grace of God in the midst of God's people, and he was passionate. He was excited. He was, he was just pouring into the work of God, even to the point, and I love kind of the, how this story plays out because, you know, Barnabas uh, and, and John Mark went on a mission trip with Paul in one of Paul's first mission trips. John Mark being Barnabas' cousin. But in the midst of this mission trip, we don't know why, but John Mark leaves the mission trip. Well, we see, and there's, some, there, there's a time where we can see in the Bible where Paul was dissatisfied with John Mark, where Barnabas actually uh, wants to bring John Mark back into their mission field, but uh, Paul does not want to. In Acts 15, 38, he's kind of, he's upset with him. And in the midst of this, it kind of creates some distance between Paul and Barnabas. But what we do know is that we know that Barnabas went after John Mark. That he would, we, we have to believe that he would be encouraging John Mark. That whatever drew him away from the mission field, whether it's fatigue, whether it's discouragement, whether it's some type of sin, whatever it might have been, that Barnabas went after him. And then Paul references John Mark again in 2 Timothy 4.11. When he talks about him being in the ministry, doing the work of ministry alongside them again. So there is a point at which he comes back into that. You know, that's the kind of Christian that Barnabas was. Is that even when people bailed on him, he sought after them. He encouraged them. He drew them back into the work that God had for him. Because he saw people not based off of what they were providing, but through the, the, through the eyes of the grace of God and what God wanted to do and what God could do with them. And this is a major reason, church. Because we're called to be encouragers, this is a ma major reason why the local church is so vital. Because it's in the context of the local church where we are encouragers. It's in the context of the local church where we encourage each other. We build each other up. We, we see each other's lives. We see each other for what we need and what, we, what our desires are, and we facilitate that. We, we, we are part of that. We pour into that. In the local church is where it is practiced, even as imperfect as it might be, because listen, I know that the local church and the people of the local church are not perfect. We don't have to tell ourselves that more than once, because we know. Because it's either been us or it's been somebody that's hurt us. But even in the midst of that, even in the midst of those failures, there is no substitute for the local church. There is no substitute for the encouragement that the local church can and should be for each other. And the second thing this morning, it's not only is unity that grows us that we see through Barnabas in the life of Barnabas, but we also see a unity that is shown through us. A unity that is shown through us. Galatians 2.1 again. He says, but taking Titus along with me. So why is Titus significant to this narrative? Because the thing about Titus, so Paul and Barnabas, both Jews. Barnabas was a Levite. And so uh, but Paul and Barnabas, both Jews. 
doing ministry work to the Gentiles who were not Jews, who at one point were looked at as, as lesser humans, who were looked at as outside of the fold of God and outside of the reach of God, that, that God didn't want anything to do with them. We've talked about it before, that Jews used to wake up in the morning and say to themselves, thank God I'm not a Gentile. Titus is one of those Gentiles. Titus is one of those pagans. Titus is one of those people who would have been looked at as lesser human. Titus is one of those people who would have looked at as not good enough for the family of God. And so what does Paul do when he's going to establish unity and evaluate the message of the foundation of the church of God? Is he brings somebody that would have been as far away from the work of God to the Jewish people. And he brings him as, a, as an evidence that the gospel of grace reaches people. That the gospel of grace reaches those people that the Jews look at as lesser. That the gospel of grace reaches those people who we would think and who I used to think, as Paul would say, I used to think didn't deserve it. They couldn't earn it. God had no place for them at the table. And then Paul brings him before these people as evidence to say that God is working. And what that shows us as Christians this morning is that there is a unity that is shown through us. And what it does is that it reaches out to the outskirts and it brings people into the fold of grace where God is. And Titus was that example. John MacArthur says this. He says, We have to center our evangelistic efforts on the pure, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ or those evangelistic efforts are in vain. And the only place that we find that is in grace, in the grace of God. Because otherwise, if it wasn't the gospel of grace, if it was the gospel of the Jewish leaders who were teaching the Gentiles, the, uh, the Jews, this other uh, gospel, then Titus would have had to come. He would have had to been circumcised. He would have had to have followed all these, these rules and these regulations to begin to be in the family of God. But Paul's able to say, look, God's grace has reached out and has grabbed Titus, brought him into the work. And not only that, but Titus is doing the work of God in his life. church when we are unified under the gospel of grace it begins to be shown through us and we begin to reach out and affect the people in our lives the people that need the gospel Paul would write this in 2 Corinthians 8 23 he says as for Titus he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit and as for our brothers they are messengers of the churches of the churches the glory of Christ Titus would play such a huge part in the ministry to the Gentiles alongside Paul because he was evidence that the unity of the gospel of grace shown through God's people will, will bring those in that feel distant. will bring those in that have never had a place. will bring those in to understand what God is doing for them. And it's within that unity shown through Paul to Titus and Titus brought before these people that this unity is established. Because what does he say in, in uh, Galatians 2.3? He says, But even Titus, who is with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was Greek. 
And so in that, he understands and he realizes Paul brings Titus and, the, and Paul, uh, John and Peter and James. They look and they see the evidence of what God is doing because this would have been something new for them. You know, they, they, they haven't experienced or had to deal with a lot of ministry to the Gentiles. And so as they're in the midst of this, they begin to see, man, God can do something. Listen, when we want to live in a grace, uh, a grace of unity that is shown through us, this gospel of unity of grace that is shown through us, we have to be open to see how God can work and move in the midst of us. And I love how for Peter and for James and for John, as they're standing here, they're seeing the evidence of God's work to a group of people that would have been outside of their fold. They say to themselves, listen, God is bigger than our religious ordinances. God is bigger than our sacraments. God is bigger than, our, than, our, than, than these things, these rules, these regulations that we have put on people. You know, I love this quote. And I, I pray that, that we can really settle in and understand this. That Christian unity takes no account of cultural distinctiveness. That's not the quote. But that Christian Christianity, uh, Christian unity takes no account of cultural distinctives. You know, and I think this is hard for us to understand, especially in the Bible Belt, is we have a very specific way at which we think church and grace and the way that church is done and ministry is done. We have a very specific view of that. And some people would probably even say, if you don't do it exactly like this, then it's not True Christianity, right? When in reality, the, you know, there are, there are nations of people, there are people, cultures that do things so drastically different that we would maybe even be uncomfortable by it because their cultural distinctives are different from ours. But it doesn't mean that that, that that is not true Christianity. And so we can't limit the expanse of Christianity by what our culture sees as acceptable Christianity. And I love this quote. It says, an American Christian has far more in common with a gospel believer who lives in a nomadic existence on the Mongolian plains than they do with a non-believer who lives on their street, drives a similar car, and whose children go to the same school as theirs. Man, that's, that's a challenge, right, for us to imagine, to think about that. That because of the gospel of grace, we are more unified with a believer in Africa in the way that they do Christianity, the way that they worship God, we have more in common with them, even in the midst of our cultural distinctives, than we do with our neighbor, with our boss at work, with maybe even the spouse that we live in our house with. We have more in common with someone across the world because we are unified by the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. And if we can really grab a hold of that, man, God will give us so much freedom in how we interact with people. God will give us so much freedom in how we navigate, even in the midst of our culture here today, even in America, there are cultural distinctives that are so vastly different that we cannot be limited. We cannot be shut out or pushed away from unifying with believers in the gospel of grace of Jesus Christ because people do church differently than we do. That the gospel of grace, one shown through us, is accepting everyone who is a believer in the gospel of grace and as a child of God, even in the midst of cultural variances. Because in Galatians 2.6, what does he say? He says, God shows no partiality. He says, there is no spiritual hierarchy. There is no place at which this person is more spiritual than this person because they do these things a certain way, or they've done this, or they've not done this. 
He says, God shows no partiality. I love that he'll even talk about Peter. And he says, listen, Peter does this, and I do this. Peter is not better than me. Peter is not the almighty leader of the church. Peter ministers to these people. I minister to these people because God shows no partiality. There is no hierarchy in Christian faith. And even in the midst of that, and I love Titus is such a great example of that when the gospel is shown through us, we can realize that even more because he says here, and all throughout the Bible, Paul talks about what Titus meant to him. Even though Titus, I mean, Paul writes the majority of the New Testament. And we would look at Paul and say, man, Paul is here. Like, Paul has got it together. That dude is, is it. Paul would say, Paul would say constantly throughout the text what Titus meant to him. And what Titus provided for him. And how Titus ministered to him. 2 Corinthians 2.13, Paul referred to Titus as my brother. He says how he had no peace when Titus was absent. 1 Corinthians 7.6, he says, uh, uh, says how Paul was comforted by the coming of Titus. 2 Corinthians 8.6, it shows how Paul trusted Titus to receive a collection from the Corinthians, to do something, to pick up money for him. 2 Corinthians 8.16, it says that Titus had the same earnest care that filled the heart of Paul. 2 Corinthians 8.23, Paul said, if anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and a fellow worker concerning you. 2 Corinthians 12.18, Paul spoke again of Titus and how, uh, how he shared Paul's heart. Paul would say in that text, did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? And in Titus 1.4, when Paul is writing of this letter to Titus to encourage him as a leader of the church, Paul called Titus a true son in our common faith. You know, for someone who at one point was so far outside of the, the, the work of God to now be a vital instrument in the encouragement of one of the, the, who we would say is one of the most vital players in the Bible. When the gospel of grace is shown through us, we begin to see this unity that comes where we will reach people with the gospel and that we will gain encouragement. We will be moved and motivated and continue to expand in the work that the, that the gospel has placed on us. And I love in the midst of all that, when the gospel is shown through us and then there's this unity that comes where there's no consideration of cultural differences, where there's no distinctions, there's no uh, lines that we've drawn between gospel-believing, grace-believing believers that then we can really gather together and do something. And I love Galatians 2, verses 9 through 10 as we finish. He says, But when he perceived the grace that was given to me, because grace, grace is the pivot point. Grace is the point, the crux at which all of this comes together. A gospel that grows us and a gospel shown through us, unified, all pivots on grace. He says, but when they perceived the grace that was given to me, he says, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me. And what does that mean? He said, basically saying that they affirm each other and that any gospel outside of the gospel that we're proclaiming in this moment is not the true gospel. And so they're unifying not only in fellowship, but they're unifying in doctrine and theology. They're saying we are unified in this idea of grace because of what it accomplishes for us and through us. And then not only that, in the midst of that grace, what does he say? He says that he asked us to remember the poor. This seems so out of place. You know, in all the conversation and everything that they're doing and they're talking about and they're trying to establish kind of this theological distinctive amongst each other about how they're going to present the gospel of grace, 
in the midst of all that, the way he wraps this section up is he says that they asked us to remember the poor. And what does Paul say? He says, the very thing I was eager to do. Church, when we are resting in the gospel, united around the gospel, the natural next step, the natural next step is to step out and to serve and to love the least of these. That the gospel, the united gospel shown through us reaches out to the broken. That the gospel united shown through us reaches out to the hurting. The gospel united within us reaches out to the poor. And when we talk about poor, it's not just the, the monetarily poor, but maybe even the emotionally poor, the spiritually poor, those who just are spent, those who are just at their wits end with life in whatever capacity it might be, that when we are resting in the gospel of grace and united around this idea that the natural progression of the true gospel leads to the least of these, to the needy around us, those who need encouragement, those who need all what we have to offer, whether that's supplies, whether that's time, whether that's love, whether that's encouragement, whatever it might be, that the united gospel of grace shown through us leads to the least of us. Gospel unity leads to activity and a love and a concern for the people around us. And so why is this important for us? It's because this, church, that freedom by grace alone through faith alone in Christ is the binding element of unity in the Christian faith. And it is the conduit at which we evangelize the lost and serve our neighbors. That the freedom of grace by faith in Christ is the binding element of unity in the local church or in the church universal. Without the gospel of grace, without that freedom that we experience in the gospel of grace, we will never truly find ourselves at a place to evangelize the lost and serve our neighbors in the way Christ intends for us. Otherwise, we are bound to slave. We are bound slaves. Uh, we're slaves to rules, religious ordinances that are that are, by the Old Testament standards, it was this way of cleanliness that we are incapable of obtaining. The old law was a, a means at which finding holiness and cleanliness, but we are inadequate and unable to find that cleanliness and abide by that cleanliness on our own. Hence, why Christ had to die for us. The blood of Christ has cleaned us in a way that no sacrifice, no offering, or no washing could fully accomplish. Hebrews 9, verses 9 through 10, it says, According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. And then verses 11 and 12, but... When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once, church, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. Thus, church, and this is where the gospel of grace finds its Hope. It says, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. That there is an eternal hope, an eternal security that is found in the gospel of grace. And so our challenge, church, and, and I'll be done this morning, our challenge is this. That we would be united around this gospel of grace. 
this gospel of grace that grows us, this gospel of grace that is shown through us, because it's within that gospel that we find a security and a hope that no other thing can provide. Church, and as we go through these next few chapters, these next few weeks, man, we are just going to dig into these things deeper and deeper and deeper. But I pray that every week we come, that you would be hearing what God has. And that for us this morning, the specific challenge is to be unified. That we as a local church would be unified around the gospel of grace. That we would be unified in a way that it grows us, in a way that is shown through us to the people around us, within our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, wherever you are. That we would be united around this gospel. And that we would step out of here and allow the gospel of grace to be the motivating factor that drives the action and the work that we do every single day in our life for God's glory and not our own. Church, let's pray together this morning. Father God, I just thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for the gospel of grace that you've given us. God, let us not be distracted, or God, let us not be drawn away to any lesser gospel. Father, let us see the goodness of the gospel that you've given to us, God. Let us see the goodness of the gospel that grew uh, a Barnabas, God. Let us see the gospel that took a Barnabas that encouraged a Paul in time when he needed, God. Let us uh, see the gospel that took a Paul and reached out to a Titus that was outside of the work of God and that was, was given this free invitation into the grace of God, Lord, and that through Titus you would reach a group of people, that you would use him to unify the church of Corinth, God, that you would use him to be a leader in the church of Ephesus, God, that you would use him to be a church leader, God, someone, Lord, by the standards of the false teachers, had no place, was not good enough, didn't have the right education, didn't have the right upbringing, didn't have the right perspective. God, but we thank you for the unity that we find in the grace of God. Lord, we thank you for the unity that we find that grows and shows through us in a way that only you can and that only you will. Father, let us be humble enough to be challenged where we have to be challenged. Convict us where we need to be convicted, God. And if we have not put our faith in the saving work of Jesus' blood on the cross once and for all to eternally secure our redemption, God, I pray, I pray that they would do that this morning, whoever that might be. God, because it's in you and your work that we find salvation. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.